Okay. If I can have your attention, that'd be very good. If you don't know me, my name's Adrian. I'll be taking us through the next part. Um, I just want to start off by kind of telling you again a story that I told at the beginning of last Sunday's message. And um, it's a story that involves Lucy, my wife and I, where we uh, got the keys for six to eight weeks for some friend's house uh, to live in. And it was, as I described last week, a kind of Georgian manor house. So it was around kind of eight, nine bedrooms, um, various reception rooms, lounges, uh, sized kitchens, dining rooms, uh, a playroom that's the size of our house at that point, and various things. And if you're around last week, you'll know that I talked about how we were given this house because the friends who owned it were touring Europe, and they said, would we look after it? And we kind of looked after it. And what we discovered is in the first week, Lucy and I basically lived in the playroom, the kids' playroom. That's what we did. We just didn't feel like, though we had the free run of the whole house, we just thought, man, we surely can't be let loose on a house like this. And so we kind of just cooped ourselves up in the playroom. And if you were here last week, you know that I kind of used it as a bench point to kind of help us to see that sometimes in us centering our lives on Jesus, those of us here who've done that, that we can find that we've been given this amazing life through Jesus, this life that we've been celebrating already this morning, of this life that promises that we're loved unconditionally, accepted unconditionally, this life that's filled with hope, and this life that's filled with freedom, so that we can do what that song said at the end, that we can live our life not living with regrets, rather than just li- rather living with just this abundance that God has for us. But sometimes, even though we've got that at our disposal, we can find ourselves cooped in like a playroom, boxed in there, thinking, man, I've got this whole life I could enjoy, but surely that can't be right. And we find ourselves being boxed in by our history or by things that have gone in. It might be the way we think, the way we act. It might be what others say about us. And last week, we looked at the whole thing that we're not meant to live boxed in, that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to come and live within us in order that we'd know within the very depths of our being that we're loved and accepted. In order that we'd know, as Paul writes to the Romans, and says in Romans 8, that we'd know when the Spirit's in us that actually we can cry, Abba, Father. That we have this deep now relationship with God, that God isn't some distant deity, but rather this God that we're in relationship with. And we looked and saw that the Spirit therefore comes and gives us this immense knowledge of our identity in God, and therefore the freedom that we therefore can live with and in. Empowered to know that we're not cooped up anymore in a, in a playroom, but we get the whole house to enjoy. That we get to explore our life now, understanding more and more, moment by moment, the, the freedom that Jesus has given us. But the thing is, the story for me in terms of the house didn't end there. And the story for us in terms of centering our lives on Jesus and being those that are now filled with his Holy Spirit doesn't end there. You see, let's go back to my Georgian manor house that Lucy and I were living in. You see, we got to live in this place for six to eight weeks. Now, it didn't get to the end of the first week, and I suddenly think, man, we don't need to live in the playroom. We can enjoy the whole of the house. And then we spent kind of the next kind of five to six weeks just kind of rampaging around the house, thinking, man, look at what we've got. This is amazing. And kind of thinking, let's just hang out in this room now. Let's hang it in that room. And just think, this is all ours, all ours. Because we realize that's quite a selfish way to live. We also didn't invite our friends who didn't live in Georgian manor houses round and say, look where we live. What's your house like? And then kind of get them to come in and say, don't touch anything. This is ours for a bit, not yours. But look how good it is and look how bad you feel about your place. You go back to your hovel whilst we live here in our palace. 
You see, again, you'll be pleased to know we didn't live like that. Rather, what we started to realize is we had this immense privilege that we had to get to live and in this amazing house. And we therefore could share it with everyone we knew. And I can say that the guys that we were borrowing the house from did actually say to us, you know, open this up to as many people as you want to. Now, when someone says that to us, they need to understand that we will do that. And so for the next six weeks, we invited people to stay with us and share the many bedrooms that were in the house. We invited people to come and eat with us. We invited people to come and just muck around in the garden. We invited people to just come and just hang out in one of the reception rooms. We didn't know what they were for. And the house was just full and buzzing with people because we wanted them to enjoy what we know and knew. And if you like, that's where we're going now in terms of this next series called Living Centered because it isn't enough for us to have this amazing life that Jesus offers us. It isn't enough for us then to say, man, God himself by his spirit has come to dwell within me in order that I'd know the richness of my identity and relationship and purpose in him. And therefore to kind of hang out in little gatherings, say, man, look at this. We've got this amazing life in Jesus. We've got this amazing sense of God is in us. We come and we celebrate in this God who is supernatural, this God who's love. That isn't enough. It, it has to spill out to cause us to say, but we want others, therefore, to enjoy what we know. We don't want to live saying, man, look at what you've got. How bad do you feel compared to me? And we want to live continuously saying, look at this life that I've got. Come and enjoy it with me. Come and taste and see that it's good. And so what we're going to do is we're going to Around this title, Living Centered, we're going to explore the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 through to 7 over the coming weeks and probably through till September. When I say probably, you'll know that I mean definitely through to December. That it's going to be there because what we discover there isn't just some kind of nice words, some clever words by Jesus, isn't some kind of good moral teaching that Jesus gives, but rather is that Jesus is outlining what it looks like to be someone who's centered their lives around him, who's then filled with his spirit within, living out the life that he's called them to in the earth that he's placed them in. See, what we're going to find is that it's just really practical teaching where Jesus is basically saying, this is what it looks like to be part of my community. The Bible uses this word kingdom to describe that. If Jesus is a king and as such, he has this rule and reign and he has a place of dominion where he's calling people to be part of. And his kingdom isn't something where he's seeking to kind of dominate people, but rather he's seeking to liberate people. He says, man, in this place, I want to liberate you in order that you'd understand what you get to reveal to everyone around. In order that you'd understand that you're to continuously remain earthed. To live this out in the everyday situations that God has uniquely placed, as Colin reminded us of, God has placed us where we are. And Jesus is interested in that and wants us to live out this life in those places. It isn't that we're to live with this kind of departure lounge mentality that we've now got this amazing life in Jesus and we kind of hang out in the airport departure lounge awaiting for the trumpet to sound and for Jesus to return. And Jesus says, no, no, now you're to live this out in the earth I've placed you in in order that others can see and taste and get to enjoy it with you. And so we're going to discover that there's this life that Jesus wants to capture us with, that is earthed, that is something that is to do us good and to do others good.
And with that in mind, I was therefore want us to zoom in and start off where Jesus starts. And where Jesus starts in Matthew 3 is with what's called the Beatitudes. Beatitudes and this kind of outlining of what does this life look like then? Centered on Jesus. And we're going to look at that and then I want us to discover some things along the way. As we seek to be a company of people that live centered, earthed here on earth. So why don't we flick through Matthew chapter 5 verse 3. We'll pick up there. This is what Jesus said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, what we've got here in these moments of what Jesus says are a blessed way of living, and we're going to come on to that in a moment, but here we get these eight statements that Jesus makes. And there can be a danger that we can see, well, is this then like kind of eight steps to the good life, that if you do this, your life's going to look good? But that isn't what Jesus was talking about. It, it could also be a danger that we look at it and say, well, actually, maybe it's that we're going to work hard at all of these things, and then actually we can make ourselves right before God. In other words, that we can work to save ourselves. But again, it can't be that, because we realize the only way that we can know peace and rightness with God is through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So it isn't that. We can also look at it a bit like a shopping list or a kind of options list. I don't know, maybe you're at kind of school and you're thinking through what, what options do I do for GCSE or A-level? And we kind of look at this and, yeah, I might have a bit of the righteousness one. I might have a bit of a peacemaking. Not so sure about persecution. And, you know, poor. And, you know, I don't really want that one. And we can look at it and think, well, no, no my options list here, I'm going to pick some, not some others. But that isn't also what Jesus is seeking to do here. What Jesus is doing here is saying, this here isn't a list of do's and don'ts. It's a list of how you live out of what I've given you in the life that I've offered you. And in your understanding, the richness of the life that I've given you through my life, death, and resurrection, in your understanding that you then don't have to seek to try and explore that life in your own strength, but the Spirit, God himself, comes and dwells within you in order to lead you into the life I've given you. This is how you're going to be shaped. This is how you're going to be shaped in how you live towards God. This is how you're going to be shaped in how you live towards others. This is like, like Jesus' mandate. So this is what life looks like with me. This is what life looks like centered around me as you live it out in the world around you. And the first thing he wants us to know actually isn't the end bits. And we can sometimes rush and think, okay, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? What does it mean to be mourning? What does it mean to be meek, hungry for righteousness? And we can rush those bits, but forget there's a word that's there repetitively at the beginning of every sentence. And it was there for a reason. You see, Jesus starts it all off and says, blessed. Jesus wants to understand that he's not calling us to some duty way of living. He isn't kind of hard-pressing us, saying, man, this is it. Military campaign. I did military finish for a little bit. I kind of shaked off after a while. And it's hard work. 
They basically drill it into you. They just don't let you give up. Like someone like me, you know, my build, obviously I could do 150 press-ups, no problems. But I'm there, kind of pressing up and down and get to this point thinking, man, I just want to like stop. And you have someone standing over you saying, no, keep going, you're a loser. And it's only anything, I'm not a loser, but you still keep doing it. <laughs> so we can see it and say, but Jesus, are you kind of getting at me saying, come on, get with the program. Start hitting yourself around. Come on, we can do this. Morning, poor. Come on. Hungry for righteousness. Meek. Come on. Persecution. And you look at it and you say, Jesus doesn't do that. He's not some military guy standing over you saying, you're a loser. It's one that says, blessed. Blessed. Blessed are you. Now, that word blessed, it can feel a little bit kind of weird. It can feel a bit fluffy because in our culture, you kind of use that word bless. I don't know, like when someone sneezes, <laughs> bless you. You, you, can, you can like go up to a small child and you, you patronize them and you, and you say, bless. Maybe you do it to an adult. I don't know, someone who you kind of feel like, yeah, they think they've done well. I know how to help them see they haven't done so well. Bless. And this word bless, if we're not careful, it just is undone. It doesn't feel like it has any concrete content to it. And yet actually what the word Jesus is using here of bless is such a rich word. It's a word that means to be congratulated. It's a word that means to be envied. It's a word that means to be happy. It's a word, if you like, that is summarized within all of these things. It's to be joy-filled. That's what Jesus is saying. Joy-filled is the life that's like this. Joy-filled are you when you give yourself to these things. Jesus wants to stand that he's inviting us to a life that is filled with joy. Now, the thing is, we can hear the list. You know, mourning, poverty, persecution, kind of mercy, meekness. And we can see that and say, joy? Those things? What we can discover is when Jesus kind of sets about what he's around, it's revolutionary. Not in some kind of kind of outrageous force, but rather in this loving, changing life. Where he seeks to turn everything upside down and inside out, where we think that actually surely joy is given by going after something. Jesus is going to flip this all on its head. See, the world says actually if you go for power, if you go for possessions or wealth, if you go for relationship, then, then you'll know joy. Jesus flips it on his head and says, no, 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 you, you, you're not going to go for power. You're going to be powerless. You're not going to go for as much as you can get. You're going to go as much as you can give. And she said, why? Because that's going to be the key to a joy-filled existence. See, when Jesus talks about having a joy-filled existence, it isn't a promise just of something to come. See, when he's talking about it being joy-filled, this life that he's revealing, he's meaning that we get to live in a life that is both past, present, and future in the promise of joy. That's what he's meaning when he starts it off here, that there's a joy to be known that has already happened. We don't live with the promise of joy. We live in the fact that we know joy. That we get to know this deep sense of joy because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And the life that he offers is a life that is filled with joy. Thank you, Bill. That, that in it we get to live knowing 
That's you, regardless of what life is throwing at us. We already know this deep sense of joy. Now, we're going to look at what that joy looks like in a moment. But first of all, it's this past sense that we already know joy because of what Jesus has offered in the life that he offers us. But it's also a present tense. That in it, Jesus is also saying that there's a joy to be experienced now as you live your life out in the earth. That in the way you seek to live, as he's going to show us, it will be the key to understanding and knowing more joy. But it's going to be in a way that confounds the world. Because you give yourself and own up to things that people are like, why are you admitting that? Why are you doing that? Oh, because that's the key to joy. Really? Joy is found there? We're going to discover that God says, Jesus says, joy is found in the present as we give ourselves these things. So it's joy past, joy present, but it's also the promise of joy future. This future joy that one day we'll get to see Jesus face to face. One day we'll be with God in this renewed planet Earth and be Earth properly with him. And there we'll get to know fullness of joy with him. So it's all right me saying, kind of, it sounds a bit abstract, doesn't it? Past, present, and future. But Jesus also, within these verses, spells out what that joy looks like. So it's a joy of, and hopefully another slide will come up, because I can't remember all these, belonging. So Jesus says that actually we're going to be those who are known as part of his kingdom, part of his realm, part of his responsibility, part of who he is. The joy of belonging. We're not kind of disparate. We're not seeking that sense of where, where, where am I accepted and loved that Jesus knows I, I call you to belong. It's to know that deep joy that is both has been, a both now we can experience more of, and a both that will be, that one day we'll see fully, oh, this is what it fully means to belong to God. Of identity. That we get to understand that because of what Jesus did on the cross, we're as loved as we could ever be. We're as accepted as ever could be. We then get to discover through this life that we keep giving ourselves to understanding more of what it means to be loved unconditionally by the creator of everything. To be accepted unconditionally by the creator of everything. And then understanding that one day we're fully know. Joy. We get to know satisfaction. The satisfaction that what Jesus accomplished on the cross promises everything we've ever wanted. We get to live then in this life saying, actually, rather than looking to that to say, maybe that'll give me immediate satisfaction. Jesus, you promised that in you there's all satisfaction, so I keep looking to you. And then ultimately to know that one day we'll be fully satisfied. You're getting the picture, aren't you? Same with mercy. We've received all the mercy you could ever do through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We get to then live exploring this life, understanding more of God's unconditional mercy towards it. We didn't deserve anything, yet he loves us. Understand that one day we'll see him face to face. He who is holy. We're all around just fall before him. And in that moment, he picks us up and waits and serves us. Past, present, future. Comfort. That whatever has gone on in our life, Jesus promises us comfort. A comfort that we've known, a comfort that we can know, and a comfort that we will know. I think one of the things that I find remarkable, Revelation 21, where it spells out what it looks like when God finally gets the earth as it's meant to be. The first thing it describes that God does is comfort everyone. <laughs> That's amazing. We, we kind of finally meet God, and people say, what are you going to do when you finally meet Jesus? Well, I'm going to ask him about why this happened. What happened to the ark? You're not. <laughs> I don't know. When I meet Jesus, I'm going to fall down and worship. 
That might happen, but you know what God's going to do? He's going to come alongside and comfort. And he's going to wipe away every tear. <coughs> Joy, past, present, future. That we get to see God. That man, Jesus' life, resurrection. You know, people look at us and say, you're crazy. Jesus, he kind of was a man, wasn't he? No, no, he's God. Oh, and then there's the Holy Spirit. He's inside me. What? And then God, oh, he's not some distant being. He's the Father. And God is three and one. What? No, no, because I've seen him. In understanding who Jesus has allowed me to see who God is. Pass. That now, as I go on, I get to see more of who God is at work in the world. Rather than thinking God's some kind of distant clockmaker who got it all winding up and then kind of departing, so let's see how this pans out. It's God who's intimately involved in everything that I can see. Even people who deny his very existence are actually those that reveal something of him. Because I get to see God. And one day we're promised that we will see him face to face. Past, present, future. (coughs) Inheritance. These are all from the Beatitudes. He then says, we will inherit the earth. That's our inheritance. We're not strangers here. We're not waiting for the evacuation call and go to some mystical cloud city from Star Wars. It's not that. So we realize that Jesus was resurrected to promise that he's going to renew everything. So we get living knowing that actually this earth is one that we're placed in. That is our inheritance. We have to know now that whatever we're doing to reveal more of God is part of our inheritance. Gets to see that actually God isn't kind of wanting to just blow this thing up. God is wanting to restore everything. I know that one day we'll see the majesty of what he always intended through humanity and through this earth. Jesus said we're to be a joy-filled people in a joy that has content and concrete context that's both past, present, and future. And that from that point of understanding, we are filled with joy because of what we know. Now, for some of us, this is it. Pause moment. Can't listen to any more, Adrian. I need to just get this in me. Great. Get that in you. Because that's the joy we're to live with. So often we can hear the word blessed, but quickly rush to the next one. Whereas actually for some of us, we just need to hear the word blessed and allow it to sink in. We are truly blessed. We get to live this amazing life, a life that is filled with joy. And as such, we then get to live a totally radically different way. And what I want to do with 15 minutes is look at eight Beatitudes. I was laughing about this in the week, so I said, man, last time we looked at the, looked at the Beatitudes, we did one a week. And I'm going to try and do it one a minute. But here's the deal. The key I want us to get hold of is that because we live from this place of understanding we're full of joy, that what we're going to be going after is to know more of God's joy and to reveal more of God's joy. And as such, it causes us to live fundamentally different because it causes us to see what Jesus is talking about. See, it causes us to live differently towards God. It means how we live towards God is characterized in some different ways. Now, in it, there's a danger in how we live towards God, understanding that we're filled with joy, understanding there's this joy that's past, present, and future. There's two kind of, if you like, poles that can happen within walking our faith with Jesus. The first one is this. That we basically live in this continual state of, I'm just rubbish. And in a moment, we're going to look at some words and think, man, isn't that what Jesus is saying? He isn't saying that. But we live in this kind of false humility 
of saying, man, I've got this amazing joy that I know, that now I know God as a father, not a distant deity who's out to hit me with a rod and staff, as we've spoken about, that actually I get to know I'm loved beyond all belief. And then we just say, oh, no, I better, I, actually, no, how can I possibly let that out? I'm rubbish. And we need to go through some kind of sort of warm-up exercise whenever we gather to remind ourselves about how rubbish we are. We're all rubbish. We're so rubbish, 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 rubbish. No, no, I'm a child of God. And you see, that's at one pole, is you get this point here, where people live saying, actually, what we need to live like is to say we're, we're just like rubbish. You get the other side, is here is this kind of triumphant call. We're the best people ever, come on! It's kind of high-fiving everywhere, cheerleading, come on, come on, no ever failure, nothing ever goes wrong, we're amazing, we're God's children, there is nothing ever bad happening to us, because we're amazing! That one doesn't seem too real either. And you have these two poles. And what we have to do whenever you have those two is you kind of end up centering somewhere in the middle and you think maybe that's what Jesus was talking about. And when we get to the Beatitudes, we realize that's exactly what he was saying. Because he starts off and he says, you know what? The joy-filled way to live is to know you're empty. To understand you're poor in spirit. And understand that you don't have anything. And understanding that actually, because you know how loved you are by God, you realize that you have nothing in yourself to add to the equation. You realize that therefore you come before God and say, God, without you, I'm empty. I have nothing. But understanding that as we come to that point of saying, God, I'm empty, God promises to come and fill. See, the joyful way to live is to say, God, I'm empty. And Jesus says, it isn't just we come and say we're empty. It's also that we come and we say, God, I'm broken. And so he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You see, that moment of just saying, God, when I recognize who you are, I recognize that I'm broken. I'm not rubbish, but I'm broken. I'm broken in the sense that I know that how I live with me at the center fell short of who you are. And I know, Jesus, that you've dealt with that at your cross, but I'm still living to live in the freedom of it. But also, sometimes life throws me stuff, and, and I just feel broken. Maybe it's I'm, I'm dealing with sickness. Maybe I'm dealing with loss. Maybe I'm dealing with things, life just not quite going the way I thought. And in those moments, I just feel broken. And in those moments, it isn't that we kind of get to this point and go, oh, no, it's rubbish, oh, I can never go on. And we don't go to this point saying, it's amazing. Actually, it's just amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. It's in this moment, we come and we say, God, I'm broken. I so need you. And God says, I come and make you whole because I'll comfort you like no other can. Broken. The next one is we come fragile. Is blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek is this way of just saying, actually, I'm just going to come with the reality of who I am. I'm not coming up with the polished version. I'm not coming with the polished down version. I'm just coming in the reality I am. Paul puts it like this. We have this treasure. He's writing to Corinthians. He says this. We have this treasure from God, this new life of Jesus, this Holy Spirit within us, and we have it in jars of clay. A friend of mine put it like this. And because we have this treasure in jars of clay, sometimes we clunk and sometimes we clink. Sometimes we sound 
good. Clink. Sometimes we just sound a bit bad. Clunk. Sometimes the reality of who I am, Adrian Hurst, is that sometimes you think, man, I can see God alive in him. Sometimes the reality of who I am, you think, man, is God there? <laughs> he is, but it's just sometimes disguised by me. Do you know the best time to see that? Unfortunately, none of you are going to see this, is when I wake up. I'm just not a morning person, never have been. Really like the night, don't really like the morning. For me, this is a clunk-click moment that my wife and my children have to deal with. The fragility of who I am as a human being. That in that moment as I wake up, to be honest, I don't at that point get out of bed thinking, God, you're amazing. Life is amazing. This is fantastic. I generally get up and just think, uh. <laughs> Honestly. And then, and then it takes a bit of time for me to think, uh. And eventually I, I think, uh. <laughs> and then I might say hello. The thing is, if in my uh, uh, uh moment, I have more of a clunk moment. So in my uh, 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 in the uh, it may then get to a point where I just think, do you know what? I feel a bit tired. And because I'm a bit tired, I'm a bit moody. And because I'm a bit moody, I'm going to be a bit tantruming. I'm throwing my toys out of the bed. I'm just going to, you know, so when someone comes, can I have a drink? You know, I've got small kids. Can I have a drink, something to eat? Why can't you get yourself something to drink and eat? <laughs> You're not the only one's tired. And I'll be there, and that's usually not said in that kind of way. It's more, get yourself something to eat. Get yourself something to drink. It's a fridge, a cereal. And then they'll say, why don't you get, why should I get it? At that moment, fortunately, I have someone who's a partner in crime, Lucy, who comes alongside me and gently says, are you really being Jesus? <laughs> in that moment, I think, oh, man, I'm fragile. And I come and say, God, in my fragile nature would you cause me to be one who reveals you and I stopped kind of acting that way and say God I don't want to clunk I want to clink for you and in this I understand that as I do it there's a promise a joy to be had that I get to understand and live in the beauty of this world revealing more of who you are a world that one day I'll get to inherit with you so we're fragile next one hunger to live that deep sense of joy-filled living and say, man, I'm hungry. I'm hungry and thirsty for righteousness. See, it isn't that we're hungry and thirsting for something we haven't yet got because there's this past reality of the joy that we know that we, we're hungry and thirsty for something that Jesus has given us through his life, death, and resurrection. We're made right before God. But that it's something that we live from, but also something we're to live kind of enjoying. So we then spend this life saying, God, I want to live and understand more what it means to be right before you. I want to live more understanding that being right for, before you means that I get to live how you want me to live, which is the best for me. And therefore, I want to seek exploring and understanding and give myself and hungering after more of living of the best way I'm to live, which is the shape that you want it to be. And God, I want to hunger for it. I want to hunger for it, not just for me, but for others. See, this one is kind of the bridge one of both how we, rev how we kind of live out towards God, but also how we live out towards people. Because in this moment, it isn't just, God, I want to live out towards you. I also want to live this out towards others. Not to kind of poke them in the eye saying, you've got it wrong. 
But rather say, maybe there's this different way of living that's for your best. Maybe the hunger you've got for that actually can be fulfilled here. And Jesus promises as we hunger to live as God wants us to live, he'll cause us to starve. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, he'll cause us to be satisfied. And this isn't a kind of a call to a hard life. It isn't a call to kind of man, kind of do what's right before God because it'll basically kind of serve you good in the end. No, no, it promises to satisfy now as well as ultimately satisfy. God has our best in heart. Even when sometimes it doesn't feel good to us, when we start to taste it, we realize, man, this is the most satisfying thing I could ever know. So that's how we live towards God. What about others, though? Because Jesus also says this is the shape how we're to live towards others. We're to live towards others by being those who give ourselves to being merciful. And so we find that, that Jesus says, actually, just as we've been those that receive mercy, those who've got what we don't deserve, actually, in understanding this joy that we know of who Jesus is, we then live out this to others. We live out continuously saying, I want to understand how you see life what life is for you, and I want to do something about it. I want to give myself to this because I know as I do, we will be filled with mercy. So we're those that are merciful. So this joy-filled living towards others isn't just that we show mercy, it's also that we seek peace, that that we're peacefully acting towards others. In other words, we're not those that kind of come in to cause as much conflict as possible. Brother, with those that understand that we're there to bring as much restoration as possible. But with those that are seeking to say, actually, this isn't meant to be broken in terms of relationship with one another. Actually, there's meant to be a goal here of restoration. And the amazing thing with this one is, as we seek to bring restoration, is what reveals us as God's children. Because God's the great restorer. We need to give ourselves to this. See, I don't know what you're like in your workplaces, your communities. Whether you're the person who kind of switches in and when someone's kind of talking down about someone that we're kind of adding in our comment as well, saying, oh yeah, they are a bit like that, aren't they? Or are we someone who at that point says, actually, I know they can be like that, but have you ever thought about what's going on for them? Is there a way that we can bridge the gap here so that we're not trying to fuel brokenness, but rather we're actually seeking to bring restoration. So Jesus says, give yourselves to bring in peace. This is the joy-filled way of living towards others is with purity. In other words, that it's all about our motivation. That's what this one is about. It isn't just about, people can think, oh, it's about sexual purity. No, no, it's about living with a pure sense of everything I'm seeking to do is about one thing. Now, for us, it's meant to be that as we center our lives on Jesus, what we're saying is, actually, everything I do, I want to be centered from that place of who you are, Jesus, of your love towards me and your love towards others. And therefore, as I seek to live that way, there's there's a blessing that's going to come. There's a, a way that I'm going to know joy more and more. And the joy we're told we're going to know is that we're going to be able to see more of God as we live for purely. You see, why is that? Well, if we live with cynicism and we're motivated by cynicism, what we'll always see around us is cynical. 
We'll be cynical about everything. If we are motivated by lust, we'll always see something sexual in everything. So someone can say something and we'll think, oh yeah. And we'll just see it. What's the promise here? is isn't just a future promise, which is where it can sometimes kind of, kind of fall short. Is we can think, oh yeah, one day if I live purely motivated by God, one day I'll get to see him. Yes, that is true. But there's also a sense of it being now. That actually as I live more and more motivated at the very center and core of my being, by God's love for me and my love for him, I begin to see him in everything. So rather than me just seeing what's impure, rather than me just seeing what falls short, I start to see God. I start to see God at work. Suddenly the people or others can look and say, man, they're so far from God. Man, they just seem so close. I'm not saying they're saved. I'm not saying they know Jesus. I'm just saying, I can see God at work in them. I can see God revealed there. I can then look at this planet and say, it hasn't all gone to the dogs. It was all go downhill. Actually, I can see God at work there. I can see these lights breaking out. Well, it isn't just humanity being good. It's an image of one who is good being revealed. Because I begin to see God. And then we build to the last one. How we get to live out towards others is we also get to live regardless. That isn't regardless. Who cares about them? It's regardless of our welfare and our fame, popularity, or reputation. See, when we live with the joy that Jesus has given us, it means that we aren't limited by the potential that it could mean for us. So Jesus kind of puts it this way. He says, well, joy filled are you when you're persecuted for me. He doesn't go and stand out and let people smack you around the face. That's not what he's talking about. That's just stupid. He's saying, as you reveal me in the life that you're living, don't worry about the consequences. Live regardless of them. Because actually you already know you're as loved and accepted as you could ever be. Your value and identity is already in me. Therefore, what can anyone take of you and from you? So this dangerous bunch of people who live not wanting to be persecuted, but live regardless of what the consequences are going to be. I'm going to seek to love people no matter what. And we're going to get to see how Jesus talks about this. That even when someone smacks us around the face, we'll think, man, I still love you. And they'll smack us around again. We'll think, I still love you. Because it doesn't matter. See, the day and age we live in, it, it isn't that we're probably going to get physical violence towards us. We live in an amazingly free culture in one way. In another way, we live in a culture where actually you can just be misunderstood and people can say, actually, I don't like that about you. And what we need to do at that moment isn't kind of to absorb the words and think, oh man, if that's the case, I better shape me myself differently so I blend in a bit more. No, it's at that point we think, actually, it doesn't matter. I can live regardless of what my reputation becomes because of you, Jesus. I can live regardless of what my welfare is because of you, Jesus. Because in you, I have everything. See, Jesus kind of lights the touch paper in the Beatitudes and says, this is totally upside down, inside out way of living that comes not through us working hard, but through us resting and living in the joy that we've been filled with. And that as we're 
understanding that we're filled with this amazing life is governed and characterized by joy, it causes us to live totally different towards God. It causes out that deep sense of joy of what we know, what we will know, and what we can know. To actually live saying, God, I come to you as one who's empty, one who's fragile, one who's broken, one who's hungry, understanding you fill me in every way. I come towards others and want to seek to give myself, not to get, but seek to give mercy. Seek to be one who's continuously giving peace wherever I am. Is living purely and is living regardless. Because understand, my joy is found in you. She stand. Just for right, just to close our eyes. We're going to end in a moment. Just want to pray for us before we do. Just in all of this, is isn't that we've got to work hard at it. It's rather that we rest in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And we then live out of that place. Understanding that we just come in the reality of who we are. Seeking then out of all that we've gained to then give. The starting point is just coming and saying, God, I surrender everything again to you. And God, I say that I need everything you have in order that I can live in the fruitfulness of the life that you've liberated me into. So I'm just going to pray that for us. God, I pray for each of us in this room. I thank you for your reminders today of just that you're with us. Thank you for your reminders of how you want to strengthen and put stature in us where we are seeking to stand for you, Jesus. Seeking to reveal you, Jesus. I thank you for your reminders of how You've placed us where we are and you're with us where we are. And Jesus, I thank you within all of it, this great reminder of the life you've given us isn't a life of duty, but a life that comes from the joy of all that you've given us. And I pray, God, that you'd cause us to taste more and more of that joy, of belonging, of being accepted, of identity in you, of, of the inheritance we have in you of the fact that we get to see you and know you. And I pray, God, as we live in that deep sense of joy, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you give us all we need to live our lives towards you, God, and to live our lives towards others. And I pray, God, that we'd be those that therefore are fundamentally different, not because of us working hard at something, but because of us living out of what you've done in us. I ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Okay, if you've got children, if you want to go and collect them. Otherwise, what I'd ask you is two things. Uh, one is if you'd like to be prayed for, we'd love to pray for you. So if you're getting kids, you can bring them back and we'd love to pray for you. It could be anything that's happened during the morning, we'd love to pray for you. The other is if you could really help us. There's 
a need to kind of pack away some stuff this morning in order to enable a cricket match to go on. And if you can help with that, we need kind of four to five people. If you could come and find Gus, who's at the front, or Martin in a white T-shirt at the back, as that would just really help us. Otherwise, we're done. Please feel free to go and get yourself a drink, uh, and we'll see you next week. Cheers. Thanks. <laughs>